Welcome to The Worst Best Sellers, where we read about nature, red in tooth, and tiny little paw, so you don't have to. I'm Kate. And I'm Renata. And for this episode, we read Red Wall by Brian Jakes. Joining us to discuss this big story about tiny adventures is S.J. Jones, otherwise known as J.J., New York Times bestselling author and anthropomorphic animal book enthusiast, but not in a creepy way. Hello, J.J. Hello! It's really great to be here. I've been listening for a long time, and I was like, oh, I'd like to be on, and never actually thought you guys would agree. (laughs) No, we're so excited when you mentioned it. Like, so happy to have you. Yeah, um, so this was a book that I had submitted for the flashback summer episode. Yes. Um, it's a lot. It's a lot. And I, before we get into it, and it is a lot, and we do have a lot to say about it, um, I know, and you weren't the only one even who submitted it for our call-in episode about flashback summer favorites, like, Redwall, I know, has a deep, um deep fan base, and I never read these as a kid, um, and my first real, I, like, I definitely had seen them when I started working in libraries, and I was just like, okay, this isn't for me, but I'll keep them stocked, and, um, then I listened to the Overdue episode about them, and this was a while ago, and I intentionally didn't go back and re-listen to it, because I wanted to have my own fresh takes as I read it. But I did, the thing I remembered most about the Overdue episode is that they did talk about how much food talk there is in this, and then they got really hung up on where the mice were getting milk. And as I listened <laughs> to it, I was like, oh, that's funny. And then I started reading it, and I was like, no, they are talking about milk so much. <laughs> And so I just, I, I know that this isn't a fresh thing, but they really are talking about milk so much, and we will get into that. Um, also, it's, in case this is your very first episode of the summer or of the ever, um, welcome. And we are doing our flashback summer series where we go back and revisit childhood books, and, and usually it's with more of a nostalgic eye and just sort of maybe a a gentler episode than when we read the newer stuff that's out. I just want to say though, I don't have any childhood nostalgia for this and I'm going to I'm going to try not to be a dick about it, but man, this book is not for me. It's not it's for me. <laughs> so interesting to me because I read so many of these as a kid. I Caitlin noted animal ambivalent human. I was really into them, and I can't remember, I can't remember if I told this story on the Flashback Summer call-in episode or not, um, but I was so into these as a kid that me and one of my friends, when we had to do an independent reading project for our creative writing class in eighth grade, we bargained with the boys who were assigned this title to get it for ourselves by showing them how long the books were. And suddenly they were like, oh, we don't want to do these anymore. Um, Because me and my friend Monica were like so into them and so excited to do a project about them and talk about them. Um, And the one that I reread the most was Moss Flower. I think I only read this one a couple times. But I was very into them. I Not that there's anything wrong with being a furry, but I am kind of shocked that I did not end up that way, given that this was something that I was so into online, like reading the forums for and on the mailing lists for. 
And uh, then I, at one point, I just very abruptly drifted away and have not really touched any animal books since. <laughs> you know, it's interesting you, know, you say that, Kate. Kate. Oh, sorry. I just want to say really quick um, that, <laughs> Kate, I, I feel like this didn't come up at all when we read the Warrior Cats books. And to me, this felt very, very of the same cloth as Warrior Cats. And I remember you didn't, like, none of us liked Warrior Cats. But to me, this feels very much like a Warrior Cats is this, but it's cats. Discuss. <laughs> <laughs> I never read the Warrior Cats books. I might have been into them when I was younger. And it's funny that Kate mentions, like, I'm not a furry, but I was, like, super into this. <laughs> I almost put that as my as my introductory bio. <laughs> like, I was super into animal books. Not necessarily books about animals, but books with anthropomorphic animal protagonists. <laughs> I was super, super into them as a kid. Um, and then, like Kate, I just sort of abruptly stopped reading them at a certain point. It just kind of moved on. And I'm not really sure why. See, yeah. it's so interesting because, as Kate mentioned, like, she's, you know, not that into animals in real life. And I love animals in real life. And I think that's why I was so, I mostly steered away from these kinds of books because. I found this blog post with the Redwall death count, and it is, like, 500 animals. <laughs> like, I I don't like it when bad things happen to animals, and if your story is about animals, like, by nature of having a plot, like, something bad is going to happen to some animal, probably. In this case, literally hundreds of them. Um, and I, I don't like that, and I didn't like it when I was a kid, and so... Um, so yeah, I, I didn't want to read anything bad happening to animals, which meant I didn't read as much about anything in general happening to animals. I will have to say that when I reread this, some of the same feelings I had reading the books as a child sort of came back up. There's something about this, because it's like an adventure series, it's essentially like sword and sorcery books, but mm -hmm. instead of people, they've got animal protagonists. And it kind of gave me the same feelings... I did reading the extended universe Star Wars novels when I was young, huh. which are, of course, now no longer canon, and they're all, like, part of the Legends universe or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. But that sort of same feeling of, oh, this is fun, there's adventure, there's a lot of action, um, and there's always something going on, even though as an adult and as a writer myself, I was rereading this and being like, this is so episodic. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, <laughs> Mm -hmm. There's no, like, connecting through line. Um, there is, but it's not as tight as it would be if I were, because I was an editor as well, and I, if I were editing this book, I'd be like, look, Brian, um, <laughs> we gotta we gotta find something that kind of knits everything together and, like, moves the plot forward for reasons that are not just happenstance. Yes. Well, and it's interesting, so I went in deep on the redwall.org FAQs, and Brian Jakes is very openly like, I didn't think this book would ever get published, and like, moving forward, there's a lot of stuff in this book that doesn't really make sense, and look, I just didn't think it would get published, and um, he basically, <laughs> like, retroactively canceled a lot of the stuff in this book, and he's like, never mind, this actually isn't part of Redwall, I just... Um, didn't think it would get published. And, like, sh okay, but then it did. And in that process, like, didn't somebody else look at this? Like, how did this happen? Brian? I mean, I'm surprised he never reissued this. Right? <laughs> yeah. Like, where's the collector's edition of Red? Like, the definitive author's cut or whatever. 
the horse free <laughs> cut. <laughs> it's and it's interesting because I I think that I read these right before I got real real anal retentive about <laughs> um like obsessively knowing every detail of every universe that I was into and getting really annoyed at like inconsistencies and plot holes because I think if I had read these books and was super into these books just a couple years later, like when I was into the X-Files and I would sit around and be like, okay, but like this doesn't make sense because in that mythology episode last season, they said this and this contradicts that directly and I'm very confused now. Um, because there's so many, like... Kate, were you and I the same child? Because that was me. (laughs) (laughs) It seems like it's possible. And I'm honestly kind of shocked that I did not, especially without the internet, to, like, look stuff up and see that he was like, oh, yeah, just ignore that. Like, (laughs) not that I generally believe in word of God anyway, Chris Carter, as I'm re-watching The X-Files and reading all of the Wikipedia (laughs) entries and getting mad all over again. Kate, you gotta Um, save this X-Files talk. Pace yourself. (laughs) Next episode. (laughs) Um... Yeah, like it's there are there are very interesting inconsistencies that don't show up in the later books that I honestly like barely remembered until Renata mentioned like oh I I saw on the the wiki that that he decided to never do this again. Mm-hmm. Um, but maybe we should get in and talk about what what it is that Brian has done here has done and that <laughs> I have read with my human eyes. <laughs> <laughs> And um, and I have a sense a lot of people are are familiar with this and and this book is long and this book is three books by the way like it resets itself three times and then it, it has three different chapter ones in it and I was exhausted um, but and and as Kate and JJ have been saying it is sort of episodic like I try to summarize every chapter and sometimes a chapter is just like. Clooney's hype talk and it's just like the whole chapter is one speech and nothing really happened but regardless there's a lot of plot points and we're gonna try to like blow through them but please don't um please don't hope for like a full recounting because it is um so flashback summer is usually kind of a break for us where it's like oh we read a baby stars club book and it took me like 30 minutes to read the entire book and this was like a day just like a full <laughs> day in Redwall, like with my three chapter ones and it's, it's very my long ancient, my ancient mass market copy and this isn't even the longest of the Redwall books Ugh. but this is an old old copy from like the 90s like early 90s maybe and it's it is 351 pages long <clears throat> in mass market format. So the font is tiny. It, the words are all squished together. And I know I was old because I was like, I can't physically read this right now. <laughs> <laughs> I oh. need like reading glasses or something. Now now you're the Methuselah. <laughs> I am. <laughs> Uh, so this book opens, uh, as we have referenced, if you are not familiar with the Redwall books and you have not picked up on so far, uh, this is a book where, like, it's animals instead of people. Uh, so we uh, open with Matthias, who is uh, a mouse who is apprenticed to um, become a monk at Redwall Abbey. 
And he actually, like, deeply in his heart of hearts wants to be an adventurer. Uh, but the abbot of the abbey is like, there's no more warriors, Matthias. You just need to be a good monk and not want to kill people with swords. Like, that's... We don't do that anymore. Sorry. Hey, by the way, sorry, who is the mouse god? Like, what is what is their order? <laughs> right? So this, this is something that I remember vaguely kind of wondering about as a child, too, because they live in an abbey, right? So it's, and they have an order. But there is no religious figure. There's no religion period like this book kind of mentions it more like i think clooney mentions like tell the devils clooney sent you or whatever um and yeah, then, clooney swears sort of on satan's mentions. whiskers a lot which is very funny i think it's oh there's there's some really great little turns of phrase in here that's just hilarious because he just applies it to creatures rather than humans um but there is technically no religion the quote spirit of martin kind of like visits these animals in times of trouble which happens kind of a lot like (laughs) abbot the abbot's like oh no we're a peaceful order we've been known to be a peaceful order for years upon years upon years and i was like no like every other book takes place before redwall and you guys are always fighting (laughs) you know what that's the trouble with these animal books bad things are happening to animals I was like, you always have an appointed warrior. I don't know what the time lapse is between, like, the book preceding Redwall or not, but I was like, you are always fighting. (laughs) Uh, Anyway. Speaking of fighting, uh, (laughs) despite the fact that uh, Mortimer, Abbot Mortimer is like, there's no more fighting, Matthias, go be a monk. Clooney the Scourge, who is a giant rat... Is... A giant rat with tattoos, and also I just want to say it's spelled C L U N Y, but obviously pronounced Clooney. And then I just in my head kept thinking like George Clooney, like that's the only Clooney, <laughs> but this is not that. And he is a There's rat with tattoos. There's actually a church in England. I think it's a church um, that's called Clooney as well, or it's like in a town. I can't quite remember, but it is like a British word, mm. like that's around the countryside. The thing I noticed about Clooney's first introduction is that it said he was a Portuguese rat? Maybe. It said they don't know where he came from, but maybe Portugal. He has but also, a- he was like, countries? <laughs> he has a Portuguese-adjacent accent in the audiobook. Oh, boy. Oh, no. a choice. <laughs> the audiobook, I will say, is largely very good. It's a full-cast audiobook, and generally, like... It's very well performed, but, like, some class stuff starts to come out with who gets to have what kind of accent. And the Portuguese-adjacent accent that Clooney has is certainly something that someone made a decision to do. (laughs) Honestly, it's likely Brian Jakes. He was very, very involved in the audio process of the books that do have audiobooks. He did write this, a little bit of backstory, he did write this um, to read aloud to children at at a a school for the blind. So that's why there's a lot of sensory detail in there, you know, a lot of physical detail that he can read aloud to the children and also a lot of accents to kind of differentiate the characters as they're talking. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of the reason that exists. But it's a lot. 
It is certainly a lot. Okay. Um, and, and the last thing I want to say about Clooney's introduction is he and 500 rats and some, like, weasels and stuff are on a horse cart <laughs> being pulled by a horse. And so I was trying to figure out, like, is there a human driving this cart and the horses or the rats are, like, hitching a ride? And, like, no, it's just a horse cart. Um, and then this is one of the things that on, you know, Redwall FAQ, Brian Jakes has disavowed. And he's like, JK, JK, there aren't any horses in Redwall and, like, horses are canceled. But in, <laughs> in this book, there is a horse and it just raises a lot of questions. Unanswered. Yes. Yeah, the, the relative size thing is really kind of an issue. <laughs> Um, so yeah. the next couple chapters of the book kind of alternate between Clooney and uh, Redwall. And at Redwall, they're preparing for this huge feast. Um, there's lots of very in-depth description of the food that they're having. Um, and then in the alternate chapters, Clooney, is, they're like just like two-page chapters where it's like Clooney went closer to Redwall and he was crazy. And you could tell because of the way that he laughed and like whipped the horses or something. It's, yes. Very, there's a lot of emphasis on the fact that that Clooney is is unhinged and evil and headed directly towards the Abbey, interspersed with these, uh, you know, wonderful uh, scenes of feasting. But okay, but here's one other thing I want to say is the Redwall animals are peaceful; they don't hurt anyone. Parentheses unless they're attacked first. Um, they're these chill animals and all the animals can talk and dragonflies and bees can talk and have like thoughts and communicate but the mice are out here fishing they're catching fish and eating fish <laughs> and like is that not murder like can the fish not why why can a bee talk and a fish cannot talk <laughs> and this I'm just I'm gonna take 30 seconds just like get something off my chest about the the human world and I, I mentioned on the podcast before, like, I'm vegetarian, I don't eat meat, and I don't eat fish, and that's the definition of a vegetarian, and if you don't eat meat but you do eat fish, then that's a pescatarian, and that's totally fine, like, I don't care, but there's another word for that, and when people say they're vegetarian but then they do eat fish, then that puts, that increases the odds that I'm going to be at a restaurant or, like, a work lunch or whatever, and then I'm like, oh, here's the vegetarian option, it's tuna, and I'm going to, like... Like, don't eat this because I'm a vegetarian. And Redwall is now part of the problem, I guess. We're like, come on, like, fish are alive creatures. You're killing them, Matthias. God. There's the creatures with sentience are basically, so it's all small mammals for the most part, right? So it's like mice, squirrels, otters, except otters and badgers are kind of enormous and comparison to mice i mean again yes. the relative size thing is weird um but i guess hooved creatures don't exist because um cows stags horses never appear again okay i was gonna say because stags exist because the rabbit wants to be a stag which again is wild i know um also basil is one of my favorite characters um all the hares in general are kind of some of my favorite characters but i actually have one note about this feast because there is kind of like a requisite feast scene in every Redwall book but this one is in celebration of the abbot's golden jubilee mm -hmm. which is generally celebrating 50 years i'm like how old are these mice <laughs> 
<laughs> right. I was wondering that too because like Methuselah is very old and he remembers when Martin was there, but then it also seems like Martin has been like has entered, you know, timelessness. But I do think the lifespan for a mouse is like one year, so I don't, you know, I don't think they're very long-lived creatures, even without being murdered by rats. So, it will exactly, and then okay, so later on, they, I've like I said, read quite a few, and like so they're like their Abbey Chronicles, and instead of marking time by years, they actually mark time by seasons. Mm-hmm. So, so and like X number of seasons ago, and they that's sort of like their equivalent of a year. But this book clearly has them counting time in years. So I was like, honestly, how old are these creatures? And it's it's fine if the answer is they're magic mice and they live 100 years. Like, that's great. But uh, Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> yeah, weird. Um, a- another thing, so in this book, they definitely are always eating cheese and milk, but specifically both regular cheese, like just unnamed cheese, and then goat's milk cheese. And and later, <laughs> this is another thing that Brian has announced is like, oh, whenever they say milk, it's the milk of, of plant sop, uh, green sap milk, rather. The sap of many plants can be used to make vegetarian versions of milk, cream, butter, and cheese. Never specified. He always just says milk. Fine. But fine. If that's what you mean, fine. But then you also did say goat's milk here. So, like, how is that? <laughs> so then I had to think about a mouse milking a goat. Thanks, Brian. But anyway, I, the, the fish so, is what's really getting me. Yeah. But So uh, at the end of the feast, <laughs> Abbott Mortimer asks Matthias to uh, bring the the church mouse, is it? The church mouse family or the field mouse family home. Um, because they live far away, and also he knows that Matthias has a crush on Cornflower, who is the daughter of that family. Um, so Matthias and Constance the Badger take them by cart over towards their home, and as they're getting closer, um, Constance hears something coming down the road and has a bad feeling, so hides the cart in a ditch, and uh, Clooney and his army of 500 evil rats mm-hmm. run by on the road. <laughs> so they send uh, the church mouse family home and then they turn around and head back to the Abbey so that they can warn everyone there of what's happening. And at first everyone is kind of skeptical because Clooney is like a, a, a bedtime story that mothers tell their children to keep them in line. Uh, but Methuselah, who is this very old uh, rat at the Abbey is like, no, no, no. Uh, actually, I have like lots of very uh, believable re- uh, sightings of him over the years, and here's all the terrible things that he has done. And he reads a bunch of them out to everyone in the Abbey, and they're like, okay, okay, we get it. He's evil. We need to get all of the good animals, because there are definitely good and evil animals in this mm-hmm. book, and it's mm-hmm. basically down mm-hmm. species lines. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we have to get all the good animals inside the Abbey to protect them. And I think it's somewhere around here. Clooney sets up a camp and he has this terrible dream about Martin the Warrior. And he's like, ah, like this mouse that was chasing me. And I don't run from anything, but I ran from this mouse in my dream because I was scared and I don't like that. God, so where are we at this point? There's a lot of... This is uh, chapter nine of book one. 
Yes, and so I'm trying to race through a few more chapters. There's a lot of back and forth of just, like, the rats being evil and the mice trying to prepare themselves for being attacked. By the way, also, the rats take over an entire human church, and they're, like, destroying gravestones to make weapons out of. Excuse me? Like, imagine you are the human. Again, I know they're not in this world, apparently. Is this, like, cars or something? I don't know. I don't like it. But there is this, like, human-sized church, presumably, with gravestones. And it's just, like, destroyed by rats. And, like, you come to church on Sunday, you're like, oh, my God. It's just full of evil rats now. Like, what? <laughs> so they, they have all of the good creatures come to the Abbey. And Clooney approaches the Abbey and, like, hey, like, let's have negotiations. My negotiation is that I am in charge of all of you and you're all my slaves. And they're like, we don't like that. And he's like, okay, well, like, let me know what you think. And Matthias is like, here's what I think. And literally, like, rips it in half. Yeah. Um, And then Constance the Badger, who is my second favorite character, and is just like a giant badass badger, like, threateningly lifts up the entire dining room table. Yes, and they're like, okay, we'll leave, but not happily. But on the way out, Clooney sees this tapestry on the wall that has Martin the Warrior on it. And he's like, oh, like, that's the mouse from my dreams that tried to chase me. So I'm very concerned now. Let's also just say that Clooney has no reason for attacking the Abbey. Like, literally, all of his chapters are him just like, rawr, I am the evilest person and I like pillaging and looting and that's like literally his only motivation and then i think someone else mentions to him that there's like an abbey ahead so it's not even like he has a reason he just like comes across the abbey is like that looks good i'm gonna take over that yeah he's like it'll be it'll be Clooney castle and he gets like swept away in this hgtv fantasy of like making it (laughs) his evil castle (laughs) Um, so there is the next morning or a couple mornings later. I don't know. Time is weird in this book. Uh-huh. They see that a hedgehog is stranded outside of the Abbey and they think that it might be like a trick to get them to come out and, you know, get the hedgehog and then they'll all be attacked. So instead, uh, they have some moles dig underground, come up right by the hedgehog and then bring him back into the Abbey that way. Um... And Matthias is just, like, very angry about everything that's going on. And he cries to Martin, the warrior's spirit, for guidance. And Cornflower is like, here, take my hat. Yeah, her headband. I think it's like a headband, yeah. 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 To be, like, a, a colors. Yeah. Like, for a night. They're, like, vaguely medieval. The technology is, like, vaguely medieval. Yeah. Yeah, the mice all have bows and arrows, which... It's fine. We'll move on. But they do. (laughs) Um, So Clooney, uh, somewhere around here, has... um, Clooney has his evil weasel friend Shadow sneak in and do, like, a Mission Impossible heist to get the tapestry. Yes. And And um, Matthias has a dream. Like, in a dream, he realizes that the Abbey is in trouble and he, like, wakes up and runs down to alert people. Um, and Shadow does manage to escape with the tapestry, but he gets hurt by um, the mice and maybe the bad. He gets hurt by Redwall creatures on his way out. 
And then um, he thinks Clooney is going to be, like, proud that he got the tapestry. But Clooney, because, as has been repeatedly established, is, like, a, a bad a bad rat who doesn't care about anybody but himself. He is, like, thanks, bye, and, like, runs off with the tapestry and leaves Shadow to just, like, die in the ditch. Yes. Um, Have you guys ever watched the Disney film The Great Mouse Detective? Yes. You know, there's, like, a whole song where they sing about the villain, Radigan, about how he's, like, such a great villain. Yes. <laughs> That's basically Clooney. Like, <laughs> Now that you have said that out loud, I realize that that is who I picture and have always pictured <laughs> and literally never put it together until this moment where I was like, oh, my God, that's because they're the same in my head. <laughs> Oh man, it it is it is to a T. If you are familiar with Great Mouse Detective but not Redwall, to a T, Radigan is who we're dealing with here. Uh huh. Uh huh. Um. So at this point, uh, Matthias has a dream or hears about how Martin had like this great sword that made him a great warrior, but it's lost, and he's like, "All right, well, my plan now is to try and find it." So he starts on like his quest but also he decides that he needs to go on a different quest to get the tapestry back is that at this point so much happens yes um there's multiple attempts to get the tapestry back but um this is one where matthias sneaks out and he has he has acquired shadows like thieves tools kit basically so that he can do the mission impossible heist now but um doesn't work he teams up with Basil the Hare to try and figure out how to do it. And also, earlier on, they had found out that, like, this family, this Vol family, had been captured by Clooney and is being held captive. So he's like, oh, like, I'll free them, too. It'll be great. Uh, but it doesn't work. <laughs> yeah, well, because they go back to the church and Clooney is already on the march again with the banner with him. So they get there and it's like an empty, rat-destroyed church. Basically, I just want to say, if this sounds like word salad, it's kind of because it is. Like, <laughs> these characters just pop up. So, like, you know, it's it's like that scene in The Princess Pride where Inigo is like, let me explain. No, there is too much. Let me sum up. Yeah. <laughs> Essentially, the first book is the mice are going about their day. It's fine. Clooney shows up out of the blue and is like, I'm going to take over this abbey because... I want it to be my castle, I guess. And then just starts attacking the castle. And then the mice sort of have to defend and then, like, protect all the woodland creatures. And this is all in a kind of excruciating detail. Yeah, Like, these animals, like, Ambrose the hedgehog gets injured because he was sent out trying to get all the creatures to come in. And they're like, oh, he'll be fine because he's a hedgehog, right? He can just curl up in a, in a ball mm-hmm. and nobody can touch him. But he does get injured. And, and then Ambrose is like, oh, I'm really sorry. I couldn't get the Vole family to come. They've been captured by the rats. And so Matthias, after the tapestry gets stolen, is like, oh, while I'm out there, I'm going to rescue the Vole family. And as he's going there, he just happens to come across a, ra- a, a hare. And it, this is literally how the book is. It's just one event after another after another with no real connection. Mm-hmm. It's like 2020 in that way. <laughs> <laughs> Ow. 
That hurts. Things, things keep happening. By the way, uh, somewhere in the back and forths, we've we've started seeing this snake named Esmodius, and we know that's his name because, like a Pokemon, he just says his name to himself over <laughs> and over. Um. So to cruise through some more because we're halfway through the the summary section and not even close to halfway through the book. Yeah, we're almost at the end of book one of three. Um, so Matthias is captured in his attempt to free the Vol family, but then Basil comes back and is able to help him get away and says that he'll protect the Vols. And uh, Matthias is kind of lost and uh, he's far away from the Abbey. So some squirrels help him get back there. Just um, just one squirrel, a tiny baby squirrel who doesn't talk and only sucks his paw. And it's just like Maggie Simpson as a squirrel. Uh, Clooney attacks the Abbey a couple different times with, like, new plans, but through happenstance, uh, the defenders of Redwall figure out the plans and manage to foil them. Mm -hmm. Um, Eventually, Matthias comes back, and uh, Methuselah has realized that there are runes written on the wall under where the Martin the Warrior tapestry had been hanging, uh, so he and Matthias start to translate them, and they find a, ri- a riddle, and they decode. There are so many riddles in this book. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they, they <laughs> in dec- all of the books. <laughs> yes, in all of the books. Uh, they decode the riddle, and they're on this, like, journey to find, like, Martin's tomb to get his sword, but his sword isn't in the tomb, but his shield is in the tomb, and he, they, there's another puzzle that they can use the shield to get into, but when they get in there, um, the sword isn't there either. It's just like the scabbard for this, or the sword belt for mm-hmm. the sword. And it's like this whole thing where they're trying to find the sword, and then it's like, oh, there's a puzzle where it points up to the weather vane, but they go up to the weather vane, and it's very dangerous for them to go up that high. Uh, and when they get up there, they realize there's no sword there, but that's where the sparrows live, and the sparrow king has the sword, so then he has to go up to the sparrow lair to get the sword back. All the while, Clooney is, like, attacking the abbey over and over again. Um, he has some let, foxes who work for in, him. Let me Inigo Montoya this section as well. Yes. <laughs> Basically, Matthias and Methuselah being like, oh, I really wish I had Martin's really famous sword. And everyone's like, well, no one really knows where Martin's sword is. And actually, no one knows where Martin is buried either. Uh, So, again, by happenstance, Methuselah is passing by the spot where the tapestry of Martin used to be and then is like, hmm, there are some things carved onto the wall here. Uh, Okay, um... So then he discovers it's a riddle poem. He's like, and then he's like, oh, this must lead to where Martin is buried. And where Martin is buried is probably where his sword is going to be. So they go through this whole process of figuring out the riddle poem and then trying to figure out where the tomb of Martin is. All for a sword, I might add. They All they just want is, is Martin's apparently a famous sword. So they find the tomb. Sword's not there. But they find the shield and another riddle poem to solve. That leads them to, like, stick the shield on a parapet during a full moon, and then the light kind of shoots off into the sky. It points to a weather vane. They're like, ah, that must be where the sword is. They go up, try to find the sword. Sword's not there. And they're like, oh, no, the sparrows must have stolen it. This is literally how the book goes, you guys. Yeah. 
and in between all this, Clooney like keeps attacking and they keep trying to fend him off. He gets these foxes who are working for him. And foxes, of course, can't be trusted. All but, foxes. But, but why they get the foxes is because actually during this time, Clooney is paused on attacking them because Clooney's been badly injured in the last attempt. And so the fox, Sela the fox, comes to be a fox medic. And that's how the foxes get into it, because Clooney actually is on bed rest from his, like, injuries. So this is, there's a lot going on with this. Yeah, so the fox is trying to sell out the rats, like, sends a message to the mice, like, hey, I know all the details of how the rats are going to attack you, and I'll sell them to you. But Clooney is too smart, and he realizes that's happening, so he's feeding false information to the fox. We are getting full chapters of what the false information is. It's exhausting. Um... Meanwhile, though, we've talked about how the sparrows have the sword, and earlier the mice have captured a sparrow named Warbeak, and so they kind of, like, have a collar on Warbeak, and they're sort of forcing her to help them get up there to get the sword. And I, we've talked about the accents and how they're wild. The sparrows are... I put the book down to Google Redwall Sparrow Racist because I <laughs> I couldn't even figure out. I was like, is this like what is this? But I I think it's got to be at least sort of racist. Like the sparrows are called savage. Like to me, they and their dialogue. Okay, sometimes they call it the sparrow language, but it seems like it's just an accent, and I don't I don't know. But it it's written in the style of like racist old-timey like native american like dialect and like yeah it's broken english it's like incredibly broken english you know like basically the sparrow are like if you guys have seen star wars are like jar jar binks that's yeah. what their language yeah. reads like yeah it's supremely racist and you're yeah, just and, like and jar jar binks really also is racist so yeah it's he's a racist caricature as well so it's just like oh no oh (laughs) and it's so much of the sparrows and it's so much um and so in in this matthias gets uh captured by the sparrows it turns out that warbeak is like the sparrow princess and so because they managed to become friends somehow and their captivity um warbeak and warbeak's mom um, Dunwing help Matthias escape and search the Sparrow um, throne room for the sword and it's gone but they get the scabbard back. this is like one piece at a time so he gets the scabbard he gets a hot clue that oh actually the snake has the sword which is so funny to me like for a while ago this <laughs> meme was going around I don't know if you remember and it was like how would a snake hold a knife and it was like either it was a cartoon of a snake <laughs> either holding a knife in its mouth or like curled up in its tail at the end and like it's I mean it's very cute in the meme but like how is it what is this Modius the snake doing with a sword I mean I think it's just in his treasure pile but like what did he ever do with the sword he has he has teeth and no hands but that's where the sword is um so while this is happening other stuff is going on um in the abbey and Jess who is the mom of the squirrel um she's also a squirrel obviously <laughs> Also, their last that- names are real easy. They're like Field Mouse, Jess Squirrel, Basil Stag Hare. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I do want to say the narrative constantly calls Jess a champion squirrel, which is very like, do they have a squirrel contest? Like, I think it just means she's a good squirrel, but it's a funny phrase. It's, you know what I, 
kind of like about the these books that I've actually always kind of liked is that the female characters get to be warriors as well. Mm-hmm. Yes. And it, they, they just sort of crop up, like Constance, who is one of my favorite characters as well. Badgers in general are kind of some of my favorite characters in these books, but Badges, uh, Constance is really awesome, and then there's Jess, and all the later books have these, quote, strong female characters, but they're just kind of just part of the fabric of the world that they live in. There's no real gender specification necessarily. And I've, I've, I actually really kind of enjoyed that, even as a kid. Yeah, I mean, yes, but then also Cornflower gets, like, in an arranged marriage to be a housewife. But my other favorite we'll thing, there. not favorite, but the thing that really stuck out to me in the very beginning of this book is, like, um, I guess, like, one of the voles is, like, slut-shaming Cornflower. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yes, and then, and then and then he gets reprimanded. Like the vole gets met, reprimanded. Oh, weren't you playing catch the bulrush with this other pretty vole the other day? And I was like, whoa, whoa. <laughs> 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 like, <laughs> Again, this sort of thing really doesn't crop up in the later books. So it's really Redwall does stick out in that way. Um. So Jess, speaking of. Uh, comes up with this plan with uh, Basil, where Basil distracts Clooney, and Jess is able to get the Martin um, tapestry tapestry back. Uh, meanwhile, one of the 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 son of the healer fox uh, was left for dead after um, chicken hound <laughs> chicken hound yes. after Clooney had his thugs kill the. Sela, the mother fox, and also was supposed to kill Chicken Hound, but he was able to like hide under his mother's corpse. And yeah, it's not these dead. books are grim. So many bad things happening to animals. So he's uh, been brought into the abbey and is um, like they they try to like bring him back to health, but actually he goes through and he steals all their shit. And on his way out, Methuselah tries to stop him, uh, but he kills Methuselah. And also, in his escape from the sparrows, Matthias falls from the roof, so they think Matthias is dead, but actually, Matthias isn't dead. Methuselah is dead, however. And and on the way out, um, Chicken Hound gets killed by Asmodeus the snake, so he's also dead. Everyone's yes. dead, except Matthias. Spoiler, actually, Chicken Hound survives, but you don't what? know that until the next book. <laughs> oh my god. Well, he, he is attacked by the snake, and then that's the end of him in this book. Yes. Um, so Matthias, while he's healing, he has a dream about Methuselah and a dream about Martin and decides that he's going to go find the snake to figure out what happened to the sword. But in order to find the snake, he needs to first find an owl, uh, Captain Snow, who will be able to tell him where the snake is. So he does that. And on his way there, he meets... The uh, Gorilla Union of Shrews in Mossflower. <laughs> mm-hmm. The Geusim. Yes. And the president of the union calls herself Guosim as a name, but then that's also the name of the union. It's confusing. Yes. I just love that there's a union. Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> what are they unionizing for? Yes. What are their demands? Exactly. Um, but they, they help him. They vote to help Matthias get to uh, the farm where the owl is. 
Uh, and they do. And when he gets there, he... Uh, very dramatically a chapter ends with him falling into the mouth of a cat um but then it turns out that the cat is like i don't like mice so this is fine yeah the cat okay again vegetarian the cat mm, the cat is vegetarian except the cat eats fish though does he (laughs) yes oh (laughs) yeah but he, he says like he doesn't like um um, you know, eating mice or shrews or whatever, but he he won't say no to a nice trout. Oh, okay. So the cat will sh- show Matthias where the owl is, but won't talk to him because they had a big fight and they're no longer speaking to each other. The owl and the cat. <laughs> yes. So Matthias asks the owl, like, hey, where's the snake? And the owl's like... You're dumb. You the snake's gonna kill you. This is stupid. And the owl's like, you're you're not gonna. I'll tell you, but you're not gonna fucking do it. It's fine. Like you're gonna be killed by the snake. And Matthias is like, okay. Like if I can kill that the snake, you have to promise that you're gonna make up with the cat and not eat any more mice anymore. Yeah, or shrews. Or shrews. And he's like, okay, like, that's fucking fine, because you're not going to win. Mm-hmm. Uh, spoiler alert, he wins. He does win. Um, some uh, A shrew does die at the hand of this, maybe multiple shrews. Again, this book has a one really high death shrew. count. Yeah, one yeah, named shrew named and one shrew. random. Um, again, to Inigo Montoya, this section as well, basically, is like, okay, so after book two ends, they know that the sword is that Asmodeus the snake for some reason has Martin's sword and and Matthias is like okay I gotta go find it um I don't but I don't know where to find the snake and Basil Staghair is like well you could ask Captain Snow who is an owl and because he's an owl he sees a lot of stuff so go ask him but um you probably won't survive the encounter because he'll eat everything right but Basil hands Matthias a medal and being like oh I got this medal Again, who makes these medals? Um, <laughs> yes. Anyway, I got I got this medal for rescuing Captain Snow once. Um, so if you show that to him, he'll maybe let you pass. And so Matthias is like, great. So then he goes out, runs into a group of unionized shrews mm-hmm. who call each other comrade. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're like, no, dude, you're, you're trespassing on our territory. And Matthias is like, well, I didn't mean to. Besides, I'm just going to go see the... Uh, barn owl Captain Snow anyway and the shoes are like oh he's gonna eat you and then they have like a whole chapter where they just like vote (laughs) whether to help Matthias or not Um, because they don't like obviously they're afraid of the owl they're gonna get eaten Um, and so then they're like okay we've we've all voted it's very democratic we've all voted and the majority does say that we're going to escort you to the edge of Captain Snow's hunting grounds I guess and so they take Matthias I guess they've tricked him because like at the edge of their territory is when he runs into the cat whose name is Squire Julian Gingivere the cat (laughs) fucking rules the cat and I know this is on brand for me but I think even if you're not a cat person this cat is just objectively the best character um, and he sounds very much like Dan Stevens in my head, this cat. Um, <laughs> He's a gentle he, cat. He, 
he's a he's a gentle cat for sure and um basically he and he he's like oh i don't eat julian's like i don't eat mice um but i do know where captain snow lives so i can escort you to go see him um but captain snow and i are not on on not on talking terms and it very much sounds like they are broken up boyfriends yes (laughs) it very much does yes they are they were um like friends to to lovers to enemies to friends to lovers again is like their their journey in this book um yes it it, julian really is i agree objectively the best part of this book (laughs) and then i went to look because i was like "Ooh, is are there more books about julian because i'd read a julian book and there aren't and like brian jakes get it together the people want a cat book Anyway, we're we're close to the end. We're so close to the end. Yes, and we got um, about ten minutes left to finish it. <laughs> so, uh, he while attacking, going after the adder, um, Matthias is able to get the sword um, and uses it to for various things that we don't need to get into. Help get out of the the adder's lair and also kills it. Meanwhile, back at Redwall Abbey, Clooney has been doing all of these plans to get into the Abbey, and they have been uh, foiling him once by throwing a wasp's nest at them, which killed a bunch of the rats and injured a bunch more. Uh, Also, they've had this secret plan the whole time to bury a burrow underneath the Abbey and come up on the other side of the wall, but um, they have figured that plan out, so when they actually do come up uh, on the other side of the wall, there's a group of uh, defenders who are waiting for them, and they pour boiling water down the tunnel, which yeah. kills a bunch of the rats, injures a bunch of the others, and also, like, obviously makes the tunnel collapse, which it's, just It's seems fucking gruesome. Like a lot. It's gruesome. War is hell, even if you're a rodent. <laughs> Especially if you're a rodent. Oh, my God. So Matthias, uh, after, like, seeing this vision of Martin the warrior that helps him kill the snake, goes back to the barn to show the owl, look, I got the sword. And the owl's like, well, fuck, okay, I'm mad, but I guess I was wrong. And he apologizes to Julian and doesn't eat any more things. And Matthias uh, heads back to the Abbey. Um, But in the meantime, Clooney has come up with another plan which is to have one of the captured creatures... Dormice. Yes, one of the Dormice um, gain access to the Abbey and then open it while everyone's sleeping to let them in, which the guy does because they have his family and he needs to protect them. And then Clooney just and kills then they kill the Dormouse. Anyway. Yeah. I know. God, Clooney Ruthlessly just kills the... It is a very high body count. And again, as a child, I knew that. But at the same time, as an adult, I'm appalled. (laughs) So many. Uh, But so um, the as Martin is heading back. um, Matthias is heading back. Yes, Matthias is heading back. um, One of it's Warbeak, right? Who comes? Yeah, Warbeak was his friend who's now the queen because now the unstable Sparrow King has died while Matthias was escaping. And so basically, this like unholy union of sparrows and mice and shrews are like the um, the cavalry and they come in and um, 
Matthias throughout this the Abbey life is defined by the Joseph Bell which is that a British thing I don't know what a Joseph Bell is it's the just the name of the bell oh yeah, the bell's the bell's bell. name is Joseph yeah <laughs> like he's like I am Joe the bell okay uh, so he cuts on the Joseph Bell and Clooney is crushed to death by this bell falling on him and um but then they're safe, and the rest of the rats kind of disperse without Clooney. The father abbot dies of his wounds, but it's this, like, long, drawn-out death scene where he's like, wait, Matthias, before I die, your destiny is not to become a monk. Like, JK, don't be a monk. You need to be our warrior mouse like Martin, and you should marry Cornflower. And, like, he gives, like, ten other, like, deathbed <laughs> decrees and then dies. <laughs> yeah, he's, so he's injured by Clooney during the fight by his poison tail, um, which... Matthias cuts off and there, there is one bit that did make me laugh and I don't think it's supposed to but because he's got the sword and he's got all of Martin's things from the angle that Clooney is at when Martin sneaks back into the abbey to take him or when Matthias sneaks back into the abbey to take him on it looks like he has stepped out of the portrait and like it has it is Martin who has just like appeared from his tapestry on the wall to seek vengeance <laughs> <laughs> which I I can just imagine being Clooney and being like this is fucking wild <laughs> <laughs> I mean I would have lost my shit too <laughs> like um <laughs> you know there's something about we're we're as we're recounting all of this this is like three Game of Thrones books in one <laughs> yeah there's like, true. Po- like there's like political court intrigue between the Spara tribes there's you know there's like the rightful heir to the throne and an unstable king there is like you know, the charge at Helm's Deep where the last minute Gandalf shows up with, yeah. with the rest of the Rohirrim. It's just like every high fantasy trope. And I think that's kind of why I liked it as a kid because I did really enjoy this kind of like high fantasy thing. Um, it's just, and, and then of course there's like the simple farm boy, except he's a monk novice, I guess, who just wants to go on an adventure and do great things and has destiny, you know, calls him to do this it's 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 so tropey in that way but instead of people they're talking animals it's like baby's first high fantasy tropes yeah Yeah. (laughs) i feel like there's an xkd uh x d comic that where um they make they explicitly make that comparison of different points in the book between lord of the rings and redwall it's a very fuzzy memory um, but I will see if I can Google it and we can put it in the show notes if I can find it. But yeah, you know, and, it is- and as you say this, like this makes sense and it also solidifies like why I didn't really like this because I don't really like high fantasy stuff when it's humans. Like it's just like, it's just not for me in general. And the, this is very that. And to me, it reads as like very tedious. But I, I understand that there's a large market for that thing, and I'm, I'm glad you guys have these. It's just, like, so <laughs> not for me. <laughs> anyway, the last the last chapter is one year later, and it's, like, the Abbey uh, Chronicles explaining their last year. And my biggest takeaway was that, like, in, you know, Harry Potter epilogue style, Matthias and Cornflower have a child named Matthias Methuselah Mortimer. but starting starting his name with matthias does uh bring to mind probably my favorite uh version of that uh harry potter epilogue meme which is like 
Uh, I have named you after the most the bravest man I know. Your name is Harry Potter. Harry Potter. I'm excellent. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, the, they called, so they, they're like, oh, his son is uh, Matthias Methuselah Mortimer, and then they just call him Matameo for short. In the sequel to this, it's called Matameo, and it is actually about Matthias's son. They just mm. call him Matameo. They never refer to the fact that he has a longer name, and they even shorten that further, and they just call him Maddie. <laughs> <laughs> the indignity. <laughs> I'm I'm having this memory now that I am thinking about these books again. I think that on a car trip, my we used to get audiobooks out of the library. Me listening to audiobooks all the time is a relatively new thing um, that is uh, on the tales of my depression, not allowing me to read books with my eyes anymore. Um, but when we were younger, my parents would take audiobooks out of the library when we went on um, like family vacations. And I think I made them take out moss flower one year and i do believe we didn't even finish it because everyone else was like this is no we can't majority <laughs> rules like we're not doing this anymore <laughs> yeah which doesn't make a lot of sense because my parents both fucking loved lord of the rings so you would think that they'd be more into it, but no, I, I am relatively sure in my memory, uh, I was very strongly outvoted a couple hours into the audiobook of Moss Flower. You know, I, I'm, I'm yeah. with your family. <laughs> I, I didn't read, I actually didn't read these on audio until I was much older. I actually didn't get into audiobooks until I was an adult. Um, and I really enjoy them now. And it's also because my own writing process is very auditory in that way as well i i tend to hear things before i write them i don't see things and write them so i really enjoy audiobooks so i decided to take out uh mariel of redwall um from the library and listen to that on audio and they're actually pretty good and they're sort of at least for me really great when i'm doing very tedious things like i've got the audiobook on and i'm like cleaning my house or doing the dishes or doing laundry or folding you know they're because they're just detailed enough for me to kind of not think about it too hard if that makes sense <laughs> yeah no I really like audiobooks for um especially like long drives or longer tedious tasks because I feel like podcasts especially I listen to a lot of audio dramas but because they're so short if you zone out for three minutes, when you come back, you've missed a lot. With an audiobook, yeah. because it's a narrative, if you zone out for a couple minutes, when you come back, you can pretty quickly and easily pick up from where, like, you, you know what's going on. You didn't usually miss, like, some hugely important thing. And if you did, there's usually enough context that you know that you need to rewind and listen to what you just missed. Um, and I just like I can't do it with shorter form things because I'll have that moment where I'm like folding laundry and getting so into figuring out like what socks go together that like I've missed some very critical point and now the episode is over. So yeah, strong, strong recommend for audiobooks for while doing tedious tasks. Um, and these yeah. ones like there's a lot of full cast audiobooks that I'll listen to that I don't think are very good. I think it really you have to have a very strong full cast and pay a lot of attention to how um, the narrative is cut up for a full to cast book. And probably because 
Um, I don't. I don't think I knew that JJ that they um, that very specifically like he was writing these books to be read at a school for the blind because there is a lot of care put into how these books are directed and composed with the full cast, kind of classist and weird racist accents aside. Yeah. I actually wanted to talk a little bit about the accents because that was actually my very, f- aside from the food, which everybody remembers mm-hmm. uh, of if they read these books as a kid, I think most other people would remember the accents, particularly the moles, because the moles are, their accent is written out phonetically, like the way it should sound when read aloud. So when you're reading it as I did, you know, with your eyes often on a car ride, mm. uh, I really, really struggled with the moles. So I had to kind of read a lot of it out loud. Um, but I, 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 I like that he did it only because it, it brings a lot of texture to the world. Again, all of the sort of classist and racist stereotypes aside, it does really distinguish each character like, like, by sound, so you can sort of figure out who's talking. But yeah, he um, apparently Brian Jakes. So he grew up in Liverpool, um, and as a young man, <laughs> ran away to sea to make his fortune, which I think is mm. hilarious. <laughs> um, but also, I guess in his spare time, he had volunteered at uh, the Royal Ravertree School for the Blind, and made friends with a lot of the kids there, and was kind of like, well, all the kids' books that they're reading are kind of short. They're not really full of a lot of descriptions for the blind children to enjoy. So I'm just going to write this, you know, story for them. And that's where Redwall comes from. And I think that's kind of why it's so disjointed. Because, again, I think if you're listening to this read aloud to you, maybe two or three chapters at a time, that episodic nature doesn't stick out as badly. (laughs) Yeah, that all totally tracks, for sure. And I think, too, like, I feel like... As, like at, at reading them now as an adult, I I am a person who generally likes very repetitive things. I find them soothing. Um, so I can see too how like it's irritating to me now as an adult reading for this podcast. But the kind of episodic nature of it, I think, would have very much appealed to me as a youth, even though. I'm not sure that's how I would have, I would have been able to articulate that that was something that I liked about it. I think it was probably part of the reason why I was so drawn to it. Yeah, so that is Redwall, probably the my least favorite of the series. <laughs> yeah, I, <laughs> well, uh, <laughs> lots to talk about. I mean, I, I actually am now curious to go back and reread the others and see if they hold up quite as well. Because I did have ones that I reread over and over again. The two books about Mariel, who is a female mouse, um, and she's also a warrior. Um, And then there's The Outcast of Redwall, which is like the one book Brian Jakes wrote where one of the, quote, evil animals is raised in the abbey. Um, But it's kind of unclear whether or not the evil animal ever turns good, whether or not it's like a nature versus nurture thing. He kind of leaves that unresolved in that book. Yeah, it ends real sad. It's like... It does, yeah. It's it's very... Yeah, is... That one was... I remember that one very, very strongly, and it's... It, it It's a bummer. 
And the other one that I read all the time was Salamandistron, which is, it's not mentioned in this book, but the badgers have a stronghold, which is like a volcano on a beach. Excuse me? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. The badgers have like an ancestral home that they live in a mountain called Salamandistron. Um, which is like literally a volcano on a beach because the badgers are apparently like blacksmiths and so they like use the heat of the volcano to forge weapons and stuff. And like the badgers and the hares all live together. There's a badger lord or a badger lady, it depends. Um, the other thing that this book doesn't have that nearly every other book has are war cries. Like every group of creature has some sort of thing that they say or shout at the top of their lungs as they're going into battle. I mean, the, yeah. the rats do shout like Clooney, like Clooney's name. I I have to say, as as a former subscriber to Zoo Books magazine, I don't think the badgers <laughs> live in volcanoes. <laughs> they do not. <laughs> um. The badgers war cry, both the badgers and hares, because they live together. The hares are, like, all British officers. That's what they sound like. (laughs) They all have medals. They're like, oh, yes, Tiffin, it's over. What, what? Like, they all sound like that. (laughs) Um, And they all live together in barracks at Salamandistron, and their war cry is, Eulalia? Okay. (laughs) I just, like, I remember this so, and the shrews, when they go to battle, they say, they say, glogga, logga, 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 logga. I really still love them. They're Redwall though isn't very good though. <laughs> like it just isn't. <laughs> well, he it's, look. He didn't think it would ever get published, so leave him alone. <laughs> Take it's it up with. If, if I had thought about it for like two seconds, I would have suggested we read a different book in the series and not this one. I mean, because you don't, you don't really need to read this one first, especially if you read one of the ones that came before it. You know, I mean, like chronologically, yeah. not publishing wise. Well, yeah, here we too are late. anyway. It's too late. We read it. We did it. Um, like, yeah, we, read these in publication order. Don't like you don't have to read the first book. It's like the the Chronicles of Narnia. Do you read them chronologically or do you read them in publication order? <laughs> it's a little bit like that with Redwall. Do you read them chronologically or do you read them in publication order? I would say you can skip Redwall entirely and just read the rest in publication order. Yes. Mm. Well, why don't we um, read some of this out loud? sounds good our first reading is uh we're gonna give you a little bit of a taste of those feasts just a taste um so jj's gonna be our narrator um kate will be hugo the chef rat and i didn't see ratatouille is this ratatouille no because he's a mouse (laughs) um and i i'm going to be a, a random mouse who has a line and also father abbott who has a line all right. Brother Alf remarked that Friar Hugo had excelled himself, as course after course was brought to the table. Tender freshwater shrimp garnished with cream and rose leaves, deviled barley pearls in acorn puree, apple and carrot chews, marinated cabbage stalks steeped in creamed white turnip with nutmeg. A chorus of oohs and ahs greeted the arrival of six mice pushing a big trolley. It was the grayling. Wreaths of aromatic steam drifted around Cavern Hole. The fish had been baked to perfection. Friar Hugo entered, 
with a slight swagger added to his ungainly waddle. He swept off his chef's cap with his tail and announced in a somewhat pompous squeak, Lord Abbott, honored guests from Mossflower area and members of the Abbey. <clears throat> I wish to present my pièce de résistance. Oh, get on with it, Hugo. After some icy staring about to detect the culprit, and several smothered sniggers from around the room, the little fat friar puffed himself up once more and declaimed firmly, Grayling a la Redwall. Polite but eager applause rippled round as Hugo sliced the fish and placed the first steaming portion onto a platter. With suitable dignity, he presented it to the abbot, who thanked him graciously. All eyes were on the father abbot. He took a dainty fork loaded precariously with steaming fish. Carefully, he transferred it from plate to mouth. Chewing delicately, he turned his eyes upwards, then closed them. Whiskers a-twitch, jaws working steadily, munching away, his tail curled up holding a napkin which neatly wiped his mouth. The abbot's eyes reopened. He beamed like the sun on midwinter morn, midsummer morn. Quite wonderful. Perfectly exquisite. Fire Hugo, you are truly my champion chef. Please serve our guests your masterwork. Any further speech was drowned by hearty cheers. Hmm? <laughs> Love a red wall feast. I just want to say, I know people, like, there's a lot of description of food, but the food mostly sounds bad, actually. <laughs> <laughs> and, like, I guess, you know, if you're a mouse, maybe you want, like, a barley chew or whatever. But as a human, like, I, you know, a lot of these kinds of books, you read about the big old-timey feast, and you're like, oh, yeah, I want that. But this, I was like, oh, no, thank you. <laughs> it's interesting because I remember the feast taking up huge chunks of later books. And this is kind of the only feast scene, and it's like two paragraphs. Yeah, it's much shorter than I remember them being in other books. Well, they do have other feasts also. Like, this isn't the only food time. But anyway, um, next up we are going to give you a, a fun riddle poem for you to try to solve. <laughs> uh, I guess. And uh, Kate will be Methuselah, the very old mouse, and I will be Matthias, the the young mouse hero. Patience, you young scallywag. Be quiet and listen. It takes the form of a poem. Who says that I am dead knows not at all. I am that is, two mice within red wall. The warrior sleeps twixt hall and cavern hole. I am that is, take on my mighty role. Look for the sword in moonlight streaming forth at night when day's first hour reflects the north. From o'er the threshold, seek and you will see, I am that is, my sword will wield for me. Well, what did all that mean? It's a riddle to me. Precisely. It is indeed a riddle, but don't worry, Matthias. We will solve it together. I have sent for food and drink. You and I will not move from here until we have the answer. And then after that, it's not like a full fee scene, but they do send for food and drink, and we do get a description of the food and drink. Um, my favorite thing about the riddle is that I am that is is an anagram for Matthias, and it takes them a while to get there. <laughs> Well, and 
the rest of the poem is super straightforward. Like, yes. okay, I'm between here and here. <laughs> At this time, do this thing. And they spend like three pages being like, okay, what does this mean? Now what does that mean? <laughs> like, yeah. There's a lot of hiding things at the end of elaborate riddles when I feel like it's just not a very good way to ensure that something important is going to happen. Like, A, probably more than one person can figure that riddle out. And B, if the person can't figure the riddle out, they're SOL. Like, just put it in a safe deposit box and give someone the key. Like, it's not... I feel like this is a poor way to run your, you know, prophecy, future warrior, whatever. I was thinking about this because they found this riddle poem carved into the wall behind Martin's tapestry, which they would never have discovered unless Shadow stole it. And so can you imagine like the, they're building this abbey and Martin's like, oh, by the way, I need you to I need you to carve this poem into this wall. Uh, it needs to say this on the off chance, I guess, like hundreds of years later, my reincarnation needs it. But only if someone first has either stolen the tapestry or I guess taken it down for cleaning. <laughs> right but also like so on his deathbed did martin like carve this in or like was it in his will like on his deathbed did he have to run up and put his sword on the fucking roof like what how did he make sure that all of this came to pass i think technically in moss flower they they show us the moment that martin actually puts it onto the weather vane oh. uh, because moss flower is about martin oh. but like all of this, like the carving, is there a Nostradamus mouse? Where are they uh, getting these prophecies from? I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> no, there's a moth man and he's an actual moth. That's what it is. Oh, I love oh. that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, now, um, as a treat, you can have a little bit of the best character in Redwall, Julian the cat. And um, JJ will be reading for Julian, and I, again, will be Matthias, and Kate will be our humble narrator. I am Matthias of Redwall, and I sincerely hope I have not disturbed you in any way. The cat sniffed distantly. Yes, at least you seem to have some sort of decent upbringing, Matthias of Redwall. I accept your apology. Allow me to introduce myself. I am Squire Julian Gingevere. Pleased to meet you, Squire Julian. The cat yawned regally. You may call me Julian. The title is hereditary. I never wanted it. Squire of what? A broken-down ramshackle farm building and a stretch of river over yonder? One has no real friends, no trusty servants, not even a mate for that matter. I suppose the Gingerville line will become extinct when I die. Matthias could not help feeling a certain amount of sympathy for the lonely aristocrat. At least you seem to lead a peaceful life. Oh, spare me your platitudes, mouse. What would you know about loneliness and trying to preserve one's standards in a decaying world? I say, do you think you could manage to clean yourself up a bit? You look an absolute fright standing there all covered in dust and straw. And while you're doing that, maybe you'd like to explain how you came to be sneaking around my barn. 
As Matthias brushed himself down, he related the object of his mission. Julian looked down at him in surprise. Captain Snow, eh? That old maniac. I've forbidden him the use of my barn, you know. What a thoroughly dreadful bird. He eats anything that moves or crawls. Atrocious table manners, too. All that regurgitating of bone and fur. Ugh. Could you tell me where I might find him, please? Certainly. Snow lives in a hollow tree these days. I'll stretch a point and take you there, but please don't expect me to introduce you or even talk to him. When I barred Snow from here, we had a dreadful quarrel. Things were said that cannot be rescinded. I vowed that they never to speak to that old owl for as long as I live. Matthias sensed that Julian and Snow had once been good friends. Good friends. Maybe the <laughs> rift in their relationship was the cause of Julian's present state of fatalism and gloom. He decided wisely not to pursue the matter further at that moment. Even as a child, I thought interspecies boyfriends. Yeah. I, I, that's, that's what would bring me back to Rodwell's series, if there is a book that's just about Julian and Captain Snow and their wedding. <laughs> I guess I guess that wasn't on Brian's to-do list, so let's play some Would You Rather. My first Would You Rather question is not a real Would You Rather, but just like I'm kind of obsessed with the names, mostly of the vermin. Like I love Cheese Thief as a name, and just like if you were a creature of Redwall, what would your name be? I said this earlier, but I also like the vermin names because they're just sort of two things smashed together. Mm-hmm. I would probably be a ferret. And have a really obvious name like Tree Snake. <laughs> Tree Snake is cute. <laughs> um, I I want to be like Coffee Sleep. <laughs> Coffee, Coffee nap. Sleep the human, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, you warned me you were going to ask this, and I still have not managed to come up with anything that is particularly good. Um, I'll be real boring and I'll say that I probably would be a badger because I like the badgers best and, uh, would probably be named some, like, old-timey British lady name, like Eustace or something. Hepzibah. (laughs) Ooh, yes. Extremely good. (laughs) All right. Um... Nice, nice to meet you, ladies. Um, but now, ask: Would you rather be a redwall mouse or a warrior cat? And I'm, I'm gonna be a redwall mouse because they have like a cute little society with um, like ovens and stuff, and the warrior cats were a lot more uh, primitive. I'm also going to say Redwall Mouse, mostly because warrior cats, the cats are still cats. Like, they're still humans. Cats are still domesticated animals. These are just cats who have run away from humans. Whereas this book, Outstanding, it does appear that the mice and the other creatures are the dominant form of life in the Redwall world. Uh, So I'm going to stick with Redwall. I will also have to say Redwall because apparently they have indoor plumbing. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that sounds pretty appealing, even if I had to be a, a woodland creature. Um, that's pretty great. <laughs> All right. And um, finally, I'll ask, would you rather um, eat at a Redwall feast or eat at Steaks and Cakes and Jake's? <laughs> 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 
which which is both um, steaks and cakes is of course the fictional restaurant from Christian Mingle the movie, but on the Redwall FAQ it says how do you pronounce Jake's and it says Jake's rhymes with cakes, and so I just thought he could get in on the steaks and cakes franchise and just make it steaks and cakes and Jake's, <laughs> and that's that's the whole joke is steaks and cakes and Jake's. <laughs> I mean, if Steaks and Cakes and Jake's is an option, I will take that. Yeah. Because I am not a huge... I don't eat a ton of meat myself, and I'm not actually a sweets person. And Brian Jake's did put out a Redwall cookbook where most of the options were pretty much vegetarian. And I was like, I could probably do that. <laughs> you can have your green sap milk. Um, yeah. <laughs> Nut bread or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, I gotta do, I gotta go for steaks and cakes and jakes as well. Uh, you know, I do, I do love a steak and cake and, uh, I'm not like huge on fish, which seems to be, at least in this book, kind of the, the, um, center of the red wall protein sphere, um, especially because I'm allergic to a lot of uh, fish adjacent things. Uh, so yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with our beloved sponsor, Steaks and Cakes and Jakes. All right, great. I'll meet you there. And now um, we gotta zoom through readers' advisory and recommend things um, to read instead of or in addition to Redwall. I know you ladies have already mentioned perhaps better books in the Redwall series, so we'll include those. We'll have a longer list available on our website, which is worstbestsellers.com. Um, I'm just going to say real quick that I have heard that the Rat Queens comic series by Curtis Weeby and Rock Up Church is sort of like a grown-up queer Redwall, so if you liked Redwall, you probably would like Rat Queens. I called myself an anthropomorphic animal book enthusiast at the very beginning because I actually had the most number of books in Reader's Advisory. <laughs> um, I was, I'll probably say that uh, sort of old school, what would be flashback summer kind of nostalgic reads for me would be The Mouse and the Motorcycle by Beverly Cleary, mm. um, a book called A Rat's Tale by Tor Seidler, um, The Tale of Despero by Kate DiCamillo. And there's a whole bunch of other books that I can include there. And I mean, Redwall, when it was first published, was compared to Watership Down by Richard Adams and The Wind in the Willows by Kenneth Graham. Um, but I also added the 2019 movie Cats because mm -hmm. that's if you if you didn't really know that this was a world that was just animals that imagine like the cats CGI, but like mice superimposed on faces. That's kind of what I feel like this nightmare world looks like yes it is the similar like psychically damaging uh, <laughs> uh, world as the cats 2019 movie for sure <laughs> also the great mouse detective because we mentioned that earlier yes yes <laughs> uh, so we'll have those and others up on the website um real quick let's buzz through the rest of this candy pairings uh, for me, I chose Trail Mix because uh, it's good for adventures, but there's also way more of it than you remember. Yeah, you got like a big Costco bin of Trail Mix. And you're like, oh, no. um, <laughs> my candy pairing is once again, hashtag herbs, because like in Outlander, this book did spend a surprising number of pages detailing all of the herbs that were being picked for various uses. 
I said that it was a fruit tart when I submitted my flashback summer audio, but I've changed it to candy chestnuts because they actually are in this book. And so, mm. and I was tired. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Very good. All right. On to the Rock, Paper, Snicked, where I will say who Wolverine would be if you're in this book. And Kate will say who Dwayne the Rock Johnson would be if you're in this book. And JJ will pick which most enhances the book or paper, which is leave the book as is. Uh, if Dwayne the Rock Johnson was in this book, he would be another badger helping to defend the Abbey along with Constance. I like the badgers. Mm -hmm. uh, there'd be an additional subplot with another uh, one of Clooney's plans to get into the Abbey. And the Rock would be the one to figure out what uh, was going on. And he would heroically lead the counterattack and save the Abbey um, and stop the rats from getting in. But he would die tragically protecting Redwall because I forgot how many people fucking die in this book. <laughs> So many. Um, if Wolverine were in this story, it would be, um, in later comics, the Wolverine family has acquired a pet actual Wolverine named Jonathan, who's just, like, straight up the animal Wolverine. And so it, it would be Jonathan the Wolverine who would be in this book. Um, he'd have, he'd be friends with Constance the Badger, just kind of, like, chill with the Redwall animals. But because uh, Wolverines are so ferocious, he would have just straight up killed Clooney on their very first attack on Redwall. And this book would be a lot shorter because of it. Ooh, this is kind of tough. Um, I think there actually is a book in this series with actual Wolverines in them, but I haven't read it. I do love the idea of Dwayne the Rock Johnson as a badger, but I don't like the idea of him dying. <laughs> Even though everyone, as Kate says, tragically dies in these books, um, I guess I'll go with Wolverine because I like the idea of a little Wolverine just coming in and ending Clooney and putting us out of this misery pretty early. <laughs> yes. The, and, you know, and then you could have more pages for, you know, your herbs and whatnot. But yeah. I right. mean, I would love a book with Dwayne the Rock Johnson, the Badger, and also Wolverine, the little literal Wolverine in Redwall. I think that'd be yes. kind of cute. <laughs> And they fall in love, and they they fall in love, and they dance together at the cat and owl wedding. Yes! <laughs> and that's the book I want. But what do we think the moral of this book was? Uh, my moral of the story is, if you know your shit is going to be needed to fulfill a future prophecy, maybe put it in a safe deposit box instead of a hidden tomb. Smart. Going along with that, mine is, there will always be a handy riddle poem for you to solve at the exact moment you need it, no matter the crisis. Uh, my moral is support unions. Shout out to the shrews. And <laughs> now it's time for Duarte's Corner, where my cat Duarte will give his opinions about the book. Yeah, so Dorothy, you're right. We've said it all along. Julian was the best character. It should be an all-Julian book. And you're just extremely right, and that's obvious, and let's move on um, to see if any humans have any closing thoughts about this book. Um, like I said, uh, I like, I think, in retrospect, some of the other ones earlier. If you are nostalgically returning to this series, perhaps uh, return to one of the other ones. I would say the same thing, that these are really enjoyable, I think up to a certain age. I would say I stopped reading them maybe after 12, but I think if you're like 10 to 12, these are really enjoyable, really fun, full of colorful characters. Who die? <laughs> Who die, yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, JJ, thank you so much for joining us. This was delightful. 
Uh, returning yes, to it was so much fun. Great. Yes. Thank you for having me. Anytime. If you would ever like to come back to talk about a bad book from contemporary, we are happy to have you. <laughs> Kate, yeah. I would actually love to pick your brain about the X-Files because I was a huge, 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 huge fan. So. <laughs> Excellent. Maybe next summer our spinoff won't be Babysitter's Club. It'll be X-Files podcast. Um, <laughs> but by the way, well, if you want to find us on social media, you you know that we are worst bestsellers ever except for Twitter where we're at worst bestseller with no S because the S was boiled alive defending Redwall and it was really upsetting. Um <laughs> We've got other stuff on our website, worstbestsellers.com. JJ, I feel like you haven't told us um, about your books. I mean, I know about your books, but I feel like our listeners should hear about your books. Would you like? Yeah, I am a YA author. My my first two books are Winter Song and Shadow Song. They are um, sort of loose retellings of the Jim Henson Labyrinth movie with a Goblin King and a girl composer. And my next book series is called The Guardians of Dawn, which was pretty much inspired by fairy tales and Sailor Moon. Ooh, <laughs> excellent. And uh, and I know, I know, I feel like those are a lot of like buzzwords that activated a lot of our listeners right now. And um, <laughs> yeah, Winter Song and Shadow Song are great if you haven't already read them. I'm very much looking forward to the new ones. Mm. Is that a roll of thunder? <laughs> yep. <laughs> It's raining here. Is it raining Yikes. by you yet? <laughs> not yet. Not like that anyway. Oh, God. It just started. Well, <laughs> um, finally, uh, if you want to just find me personally on Twitter, I'm at Renata Snacks. Uh, if you want to follow, follow me personally on social media, I'm at 14 Across. If you want to follow me, I'm at SJ Jones. That's S-J-A-E-J-O-N-E-S on pretty much every social media platform. All right, JJ, thanks so much for joining us. Listeners, if you haven't read her books, um, please get, get on that. And uh, we will be back in two weeks, continuing Flashback Summer with um, an, an X-Files novel from the 90s called Ground Zero by Kevin J. Henderson. Awesome. Which I'm sort of looking forward to. Yeah. <laughs> All right, bye. 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 bye.